Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's start out this episode with no hesitation, and let's talk about the Pistons walking off the court in 1991. Now, look, I hated Detroit, despised, loathed, abhorred, all of it. The Pistons were the first team in the NBA to ever get their own plane. It was named Round Ball One after their first championship and then they named it round ball two after their second championship and I along with some of my lunatic friends at the time we were planning on how to bomb the plane that's how much I hated them Isaiah Rodman Lambeer at the top but I hated them all good guy Joe Dumars hated him John Sally somewhat fun hated him but that's what made it great right It was an actual rivalry, a legit hatred rivalry that sports fans scream for. I screamed for. Actually, I hated it at the time, but I love it looking back. But to the actual point of the Pistons walking off the court, and now you've got Isaiah saying, well, this is how the Celtics did it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if I see somebody walk into a supermarket and they steal, am I allowed to take a candy bar too? Like, is that how it works? I would much prefer if the Pistons just owned it. We hated the Chicago Bulls. We loved being the best team in basketball. We didn't like the fact that Michael Jordan disrespected us between games three and four and said that we were unworthy champions. We hated them, and we weren't going to shake their hands, right or wrong. I'd rather they owned it to this day. But now you've got Isaiah saying, well... If I had known that it was going to impact me being on the Olympic team in 92, then I would have shook their hands. Dude, Zeke, look in the mirror. It's 2020. We're talking 30 years. The reason you should have shook their hands is because that's what true sportsmanship is. You don't shake their hands because ultimately it would benefit you and you would have been on the Olympic team. Isaiah, honestly, you'll never get it. 
and you keep moving the goalposts. It was the Celtics. They disrespected us. I should have done it. Bottom line, just own it. Look, I was a petty, angry competitor who was pissed, right or wrong. Honestly, if I went back to that day again, I'd do the same damn thing. At least Bill Lambeer owns it. Comfortable in the fact that he's an asshole. Or at least will do anything to win. Maybe that's not an asshole. Maybe that's unfair. But to the last dance itself, so that's my thing with with Detroit. And at the end of the day, it was awesome. It was a phenomenal rivalry. It was great competition. I weeped like a five-year-old when they were losing to Detroit. I thought that the Bulls were never going to get over the hump. I thought that Jordan was going to turn into a Gale Sayers at one point. Great talent who, ne- who would never win. I mean, that was like 10% of my thought. 90% was he will get over the hump. He w- he's better than Magic. He's better than Bird. He's going to win. A scoring champion can do it. Which that takes me to Phil Jackson, who gets a lot of credit for taking the ball out of Michael's hands, at least some. And Phil deserves a ton of credit. I loved the video last night of there they are in 1998 doing yoga on the court in Utah. I thought that was sweet. The yoga mats were out. Phil's doing namaste. I thought that was sweet. And the triangle offense, give it credit. They needed a system of play, or it certainly helped them. And Phil had this mindset of making it more of a team that that made sense. But let's not forget the fact Jordan led the league in scoring. With Doug, he averaged 35. With Phil, he averaged 31. Four points. So it wasn't like there was some major transformation of the ball going out of Michael's hands. And that was also one of my favorite moments in the dock last night when Jordan was saying, equal opportunity offense if Bill Cartwright has the ball with five seconds left on the shot clock that's just bullshit I mean I was laughing I I woke up my sleeping wife I laughed so hard uh that was great and there were a lot of great moments in episodes three and four but and maybe I'm being too nitpicky here but there were certain things that I expect more from don't be clipping out come fly with me Michael Jordan highlights I've seen him, and anybody else who has watched Jordan and the Bulls have seen him seven zillion times. This is the end-all, be-all doc. Find something different. That, to me, was a little bit lazy and disappointing. And they were showing Game 3 highlights from 1989 in the finals, and they clip in the Jordan flip over his shoulder on the breakaway against Lambeer. That happened in Game 6. So who do you think's watching this doc? I got it. Like, the whole world's watching. Six million people watch episodes one and two. But you got your diehards out here. Mark Carmen, And don't lie to me about or even it, or try to imply that that highlight happened in that game when we damn well know when it happened. Or at least like any diehard certainly knows that. And for this doc, this is for... You're trying to do the ultimate story in the ultimate way. Don't be lazy like that. There's a million highlights from Game 3 that you could have picked. The Doug Collins stuff, I wish they had done more on Johnny Bach, who's no longer with us. 
and was the architect of that defense. It's all about Tex Winter. Johnny Bach coined the Dobermans. He was beloved by that team. He should be mentioned more in the early parts of this documentary. The Tex Winter stuff with Doug, I forgot about him getting kicked out of the bench and he's sitting in the scorer's table and he's taking notes at practice. Now that was Doug making an incredibly bad decision. Hey, Doug, Jerry Krause loves Tex Winter. I would not alienate the guy that Jerry thinks has the best basketball mind of all time, which is a little over the top. And I think that triangle looked a whole lot better when you had great players in it, like Michael and Scotty and Kobe and Shaq. But let's get to Scotty. And I thought it was great that BJ named it last night. And so many have said it. And Scotty said it. But Scotty would not have become Scotty without Michael by his side. The fact that Jordan invested in him and was able to stand next to him when Detroit was pushing him around, when anyone was pushing him around, and giving him that confidence. Does anyone really think he would have become a top 50 player if he didn't have that level of accountability next to him? Highly, highly doubt it. Now, that's not to take anything away, by the way. He worked his ass off, and he did it. But I like that it was named that... Without Michael, Scotty probably doesn't become Scotty. And a lot of guys, they losing in 90, the offseason, they go to the summer, they're all lifting weights, they're all getting stronger, huge accountability. And that's a team right there. That was, that was beautiful. And what was also interesting, as we go back to my guy Jerry Krause, people say that he put the team around him. Okay. True. But pieces worked with the Bulls that wouldn't have worked had Jordan not been there. Pippen doesn't become Pippen without Jordan. Rodman would never have worked. He would have been an absolute disaster like he was in San Antonio and Dallas. But here it worked because Michael was there to keep him in line, to pull him out of his hotel room or house or wherever he was with Carmen Electra hanging out behind the couch sleeping with Dennis, and doesn't want to see Jordan. That's incredible, by the way. What a story, right? Wow. Way to go, Carmen. Way to go, Dennis. But Jordan was able to get the best out of Dennis. So the move doesn't work if Michael's not there, right? And I give Jerry a ton of credit for Phil, by the way. Phil Jackson was a great hire. Phil also looks a whole lot better with Michael, but Phil was a great hire, and I thought that Phil in episodes three and four was a big-time star. Walking in to meet Dennis for the first time with Jared, he's sitting there wearing a ridiculous hat and got all his rings in. Dennis, stand up. I mean, that's like a level of just knowing what to say, knowing what's proper, being a leader, these are the standards. You're not going to sit there slumped all over. Can you imagine if Jim Boylan or whoever else would walk in that room? They would have just sat down and be like, hey, Dennis, do you want to play for the Chicago Bulls? Dennis, stand up. That is the guy you want as the head coach of your basketball team. Thought that was incredibly sweet. So overall, I thought one and two were better episodes than three and four. I still, of course, am immensely entertained. But... 
I'm looking for the new stuff. I loved the scene. I did not know that the dude is leaving the NBA Finals to go to Utah. That came out actually earlier this morning. That The leader of the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corgan, was flying with him to Utah during the Finals. I mean, Dennis is completely out of his mind. But the fact that he needed a vacation to Vegas, and there's video of him, and they let him do it. Most coaches, no chance. I'd say all coaches, no chance. But Phil's like, this guy walks backwards. We got to give him a little bit of space to be him so we'll get the best out of him. The same rules do not apply to all the players. You're a superstar in your own right. One of the greatest rebounders, defenders the game's ever seen. You need to go to Vegas for two days to get drunk. Okay, Dennis, go have your fun, and then you're going to come on back here, and we're going to run the Indian drill. And that was funny, too, Michael, with the you all are going to go slow because I'm not going to be ruining my body, taxing my body to do this drill because of Dennis. And then Dennis gets out there and sprints, and it takes four laps to catch up to him. That's awesome, which is the brilliance of Phil, too, right? The fact that, like, Dennis felt confident or joyful enough just to do the Indian drill the way he did coming back to the team. Phil gets uh, an absolute ton of credit, which also speaks to why Michael didn't want to play for anyone other than Phil. I don't want to have this conversation right now. All right, or that conversation right now. So those are my thoughts on episode three and four. We're going to have Vincent Goodwill coming up right now. Covered the Bulls for NBC Sports Chicago. Grew up in Detroit. He's in Detroit now and just absolutely loves the Detroit Pistons. So we have a little debate with Vincent coming up right now. From Indiana, 6-1 guard, number 11, Isaiah Thomas. The head coach for Detroit is Chuck Daly. The assistant coach is Ron Rothstein and Dick Versace. The trainer is Mike Aptenauer. As promised, Bringing in one of my favorite NBA writers, Yahoo Sports senior writer, used to be with NBC Sports Chicago, Vincent Goodwill, also diehard Detroit Piston fan. Can I say that? Is that legal? You have to qualify that because the journalist in me is not a fan of anybody. In 1989, I was not a journalist. I was five. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how you have to qualify it, man. Okay. So grew up, I understand all, all you all you newsy types, you claim like you could just shed your fandom, whereas us radio types who claim not to be journalists, even though I write things occasionally, like I, I, I'm a Bulls fan. I am. I want him to do well, but I'm not a Bulls fan to the level that I was, well, really 84 to 90 and then through the dynasty too. But, you know, as, a, as, the, as the really young Carm, that's when it was out. And so you were, you were young, Vincent, rooting for Isaiah and Joe and Vinny and Bill. I mean, did you at that time, did you love them all? Was there anybody that ever made you cringe? Nah, we loved them all, man. We loved them all. I mean, I think when you love your team, you love your team. Being that being that age, being really young, you can't differentiate. Like, you have your favorite player. You know, of course, me knowing, me being, when you're small and you're four years old, you identify with the smaller players. So, clearly, Isaiah Thomas at that point in my life Isaiah Thomas was the icon of Detroit like he was just the icon period out of you know basketball fans or anything else he was the icon 
of Detroit, the same way that Michael Jordan was the icon or still is largely the icon of Chicago. So before I get into the walk-off, and you've been having tremendous Twitter conversations about it, and you wrote, also wrote a great piece that people should read at, at, at Yahoo Sports, Isaiah Thomas, I have never feared anybody on the basketball court more than I feared 11 in, Detroit, in a Detroit uniform. He was a straight killer. He was a killer in 85, 86, all the way through. If Isaiah had the ball and it was late in the fourth quarter, that thing was going in. And I feared him more than I feared Bird and definitely Magic. Now, that was also kind of timing-wise with the Bulls and Detroit being their biggest rival. But the guy, the guy's a straight Hall of Famer, should have been on the dream team. Even if it was at the end of his career, Bird was on that team, should have been on the team. So let me get – does that feel okay, by the way? Is that fair enough? Qualifier. <laughs> it, it is a qualifier because I just want him to own the walk-off in a way that I don't feel he ever has. We hated Chicago. We loved being champions. I was in no mood to shake their sorry-ass hands. Jordan said before the game we were uh, in between three and four, which you wrote about, that we, that we were unworthy champions. If I could go back and do it again, I'd do the same damn thing. Now, the fact that it might have cost me to being on the Olympic team, to me, when he says stuff like that, it, he's making it about him, not about sportsmanship. Because I paid a price, then I should have shook their hand. Like, that's not the rationale that, that – I'd, I'd rather have straight honesty rather than the way he seems to be qualifying. Well, the Celtics did this, and I should have done that, and, and Carl Malone cracked me in, in the head too. I, I'd rather him just own it. So tell me what he said that's not true. Tell me anything that he said that was not factually true, that things that Isaiah did, other players could do, but they can be lauded for it. Like there's a Horace Grant quote that everybody just loves last night. But had Isaiah said something like that, he'd be getting killed for it. And tell me, tell me there isn't tell me there is not a double standard within how he has been treated largely by the media post nineteen eighty seven. So and I think that's I think that's true. And so you can't you have to frame things in that you can't put this isolate this in this vacuum to get the result that you want. We are a sum largely of our experiences. And Isaiah has been penalized. Remember, remember, sport, especially basketball, is supposed to be about merit. It's supposed to be a meritocracy. It's not supposed to be about quote unquote influence, not in that particular way so yeah put it like this michael jordan saying you know the sportsmanship and everything else here's my here's my counter to you michael jordan says well i shook their hands in 1989 and 90 that sounds like it would happen yesterday right but it's an entire year from 1990 to 1991 and the day before game and michael jordan says you are unworthy champions unworthy champions you didn't earn your championships this is a michael jordan who has not six championships not even one championship telling the pistons that they didn't earn theirs when they had to go through boston when they had to go through la when they had to go through chicago you don't have the right michael jordan to tell anybody that they don't that they didn't earn their championships so for you to gloss over that that's not that's not fair. You can't gloss over the fact that Michael said that and that that was more or less a catalyst emotionally 
in the moment. He said, well, I shook, your hand, I shook his hands in June of 1990. Well, it's May of 1991. It's 24 hours before the game. What do you think is going to resonate more with a player when you got to play the next day or what happened last year or what you said yesterday? So I agree with you. 100%. Jordan went too far. He could have said something along the lines of, look, I never appreciated the way they played. I got knocked on my ass, and at times I actually feared for my career. And it forced me to get in the gym and put on 15-some-odd pounds and make me a stronger player. So they actually helped me, and I learned a ton getting through them, and hopefully it'll help us as we get into the finals here and the years beyond. That would have been a, a great statement. But he was pissed. He, he hated him. He still hates him to this day. So which is getting back to my part, like, Isaiah, just own it. You hated them. They hated you. It's never going to change. And to me, that's like the beauty of it. Th- that's the rivalry. That's, that's it's, not, it's not beauty if only one side gets penalized. Think about it like this, Carm. Whenever you see highlights of those Piston teams against the Bulls, you see them beating up the Bulls, correct? You don't see them actually seeing Vinny Johnson getting hot, Joe Dumars getting hot, Isaiah getting hot. They've been relegated through the annals of history to like the like the 90s New York Knicks. Like they couldn't score. Like they like they didn't have elements of excellence and grace to them. Like Michael Jordan, they used to light up Michael Jordan defensively. Not only did he have to get better and stronger and all this other type of stuff, he had to get he had to become a better basketball player on both ends of the floor. And that part is never mentioned whenever people talk about that team. So when you say, yeah, we love the rivalry and everything else, yes, from a Chicago standpoint, you're going to love the rivalry because history has smiled upon you in that way. It's a coming-of-age story. You know what I'm saying? And it's always framing the Bulls as the ultimate victors, which is fine. You've won six championships. You have the greatest player to ever play the game. Carm, when have I not said that Michael Jordan is the greatest player to ever play a game? No, you listen. You have a very, I think, level-headed take on the whole thing, and you're absolutely right. And I said it at the very start of this, by the way, that Isaiah was a force offensively. Nobody had the handle, plus the clutch shooting and the ability to get to the hole. There was a million ways he could beat you. He was an excellent passer. If you're asking me to compare Isaiah to Stockton, I'll take Isaiah all day long. All of that. And your, and Joe Dumars was a, a great complimentary piece in the backcourt, a, uh, an all-star in his own right. Vinny was phenomenal off the bench. Bill Ambeer would have been a perfect Chicago Bull. Rebounder, sit outside, clear up the lane so Michael and Scotty can drive he would have been perfect in Chicago all of that it was a great team the Pistons should have won or at least could have won four titles so the way that the media has done it to Detroit I don't I'm with you I don't I don't think that's fair I I think the Pistons are an all-time great team but I also think that they don't the way they played was incredibly violent and dirty and there's there's a there's there's just been a penalty that goes along with that, which is maybe unfortunate, especially from, you know, if you're looking at it from a, a Detroit perspective, but th- that was the cost. They, they played at that time. It was totally different. Whereas when the Knicks did it, it we'd already seen Detroit do it. So they didn't get a, as scrutinized for it. And same thing. If you want to go out to Miami after that, the Pistons were the first to really do it like that. You bring up the Celtics. 
and that's, I guess, fair too, but it, they didn't do it quite like Detroit. You have to own that Detroit was the most violent team that the NBA had ever seen winning titles. Is that not fair? Violent. It was, see, that's the word. You, you see the labels that the that players like Isaiah talk about. When you say the Celtics, you say physical. When you say the Knicks, you say physical. When you say Detroit, you say violent. You notice the difference in that? And it's just subconscious. I don't think you necessarily mean anything by it. I think it's your the Chicago Bull fan in you that looks at the Pistons as far as being extreme. But I remember Bill Cartwright attacking Isaiah. I remember Scottie Pippen giving Bill Lambeer a two-handed clothesline on a fast break. Do you remember that? I do. In game five of the 1990 conference finals? I remember that. So So to pretend as if the series weren't physical on both ends of the floor to pretend as if Kevin McHale did not take down Kurt Rambis on a fast break with no regard for human life. That would be violent. That I think is disingenuous. My thing is don't contextualize it to fit the narrative. Tell the entire story. You've never heard the Pistons not say that they were a physical team or a mentally tough team, but you got to say also that the Pistons were a extremely talented team. You gotta say that. So when you don't say that, when you only say this small morsel, it comes across as disingenuous, and that's what those guys get upset at. And the Celtics were just as tough, just as rugged. Robert Parrish? Are you serious? Robert Parrish? That was violent he too. Gave, he gave Bill Lambeer like a three-punch combo that looked like Marvin Hagler. And, and did you remember Man Bites Tree, as in Danny Ainge biting Tree Rollins? That had nothing to do with the Pistons. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, so all of these different things have happened, but it only sticks to Detroit. I actually want to take back the word violent because there is a connotation with that that I'm not comfortable with. And intense or what, whatever whatever word you chose was, was was a much better choice, so I appreciate that. The other thing I would say, though, is that in all those situations, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, maybe I am, but it always felt like the other team was retaliating back. It was, a, it was after Detroit came, then, the, then, you've got, then you've got Parrish hitting Lambeer and or Scotty clothesline Bill. It was, it was retaliation versus the hit first. You know, I'm going to give you a quote. There's a quote that I won't even tell you the player who said, I'll have you guess the player, and who he's talking about. He says, they're trying to gangster the game from us. Uh, now, who do you – now, now put it this. Who do, you think, who do you think is being talked about? Well, I'm assuming they're talking about Detroit. Wrong. Okay, that's interesting. What- Isaiah Thomas was talking about the Atlanta Hawks in 1987. Wow. When they played in the second round of the Eastern Conference Plus, and when Isaiah had the game winner, the up and under game winner, and did the you know the dance, the dance, the lefty that, finish on the right baseline. Yes, I, it was a sweet and and in the Silver Dome. Go ahead. At the Dome. Yep. And they had Kevin Willis and Tree Rollins and Dominique Wilkins and all that. And though that team was so physical, they were terrifying. They that was, they were, but but I'm saying that's the way the game was played. Like. Here's the thing. The they're physically the Pistons physically toughest player next to Isaiah, you know, you know, size size and all that type of stuff was Rick Mahorn. 
You know, Rick Mahorn went after the 89 title. Yeah, he, he went to the Sixers and, and bullied around. Along he, was, with- he, was, he was with the Sixers because the Pistons lost him to expansion. Right, right. So they had lost their most physical force after winning their first title. So they even started changing the way that they played even after winning. But once you get the reputation, it doesn't matter. Like, you know this from being in Chicago and those rough and rugged Bulls teams of the early Tom Thibodeau era compared to the team that Thibodeau finished with in 2015. They weren't as physical as what they started. But once you got the label, that's where the label was. The same thing with, you know, the Knicks and Xavier McDaniel and Anthony Mason. Like, those guys beat up the Bulls. Like, I've watched those games from 92 and 93. It's a totally different game of physicality. You mean to, you mean to tell me, was Joe Dumars a dirty player? Was Vinny Johnson a, a dirty player? No. Nope. Dennis, Rodman, Dennis Rodman definitely told, told the line, but Dennis Rodman was the best defender in the league, and it wasn't because he was dirty. You know what I mean? All true. Dennis is throwing Pippen in game four, extremely dirty. Mo- absolutely. A- absolutely. There's a backstory that, that we can't get into, but there's a backstory. Oh, I'd love to hear that one, but okay. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. If you're drawing the line, you're drawing the line. I love that you brought up Atlanta because it's cool that Cleveland is being teed up as a great team in the late 80s, early 90s, and they were. If Ron Harper doesn't blow out his knee – the Cavs were right there. Now, would they have beaten the Bulls once the Bulls figured it out? Probably not, but that was a great team. Atlanta has not been mentioned. And that team with Doc, Dominique, Kevin Willis, Cliff Levingston, Tree Rollins, Reggie Theus, I believe, was on that team too. That team was 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 right there with the Celtics, and that famous Game 7 with Bird and Neek was a phenomenal game. But so Atlanta deserves a little bit of love here if we're, if we're talking about that era. Dominique might be one of the all-time underrated historic players. Is that do you, do you agree with that? I think it's hard to contextualize Dominique because you got the crazy thing was he didn't make the top fifty list in '96, and by that point he had been in the league. You know, you know, fourteen years of the largely, you know, the case to make that you know, had already been made, and he didn't make that list. And I thought that was a, a little bit odd um, that some players made it. And, and he didn't, and we won't. We don't have to get into who made it and who didn't, and all of those type of things. Contemporaries who might not have deserved to make that list, but I, I do think that Dominique, because he played in Atlanta, because you know he never got to the conference finals, because he never had a complimentary star, sort of got lost in the shuffle. And that very well could have been Michael Jordan, had he not hit the shot over Cleveland. I was talking with our guy Sam Smith about that as far as like I made it my number one Bulls moment of all time down. I just for me it was it stamped them as okay, they're actually a contender now and it was the toughest shot that Jordan ever hit in the moment. And so Sam tells me if he doesn't hit that shot, they fired Doug Collins that offseason. They lose in the first round. They might have, who knows? They might have traded Scotty. They could have traded Horace. Like the, the whole arc of the franchise could have changed if he doesn't hit that one shot. I mean, that, that, that whole thing was, was teetering at that point. They had won 47 games. Cleveland beat them 6-0. They lose in the first round. Who knows if they hold the team together at that point and had the patience. And Jordan, by the way, after that in 91 or before 91, he's walking up to Jerry Reinsdorf and he's saying, me or him, which actually makes me wonder, what, what do you think Krause gets too much credit or too much blame or 
he lands perfectly in your mind? I don't know if he lands perfectly. I think it's, you know, the Saints, to some degree, whenever you're placed across from Michael Jordan, you're going to come up short, whether that's Isaiah, whether that's the late Kobe Bryant, whether that's LeBron James, whether that's Jerry Krause. Anybody who has opposed him in a public forum will not get the benefit of the doubt because Michael's mystique is so powerful. Now, practically, I think Jerry Krause did a really good job with everything except for the people part. And this is a people business. And you've seen how this is played with the Gar Foreman regime. The people part has turned people off. I think when you have when you have the triangle and you're building around the triangle, I think that is an underrated part of player evaluation because now you have players that you can assign to fit your system as opposed to fitting next to Michael Jordan. You know what I'm saying? You can transition from John Paxson to BJ and then Craig Hodges there to Steve Kerr because, oh, he's not just a shooter, but he can shoot from these spots on the floor. He can roam. He can do all these type of things. You know what I'm saying? And without that system on the floor, without that discipline on the floor, you know, I don't think that you could find the cogs to fit in next to Mike and Scotty. And if you, to me, if you look at it, the two championship sets of teams from 91 and 93 to 96 to 98, two totally different rosters for two totally different types of games that had to be played in the league. And I think to find those players to compliment Mike and Scotty, I think that took a lot of talent, but I think not being able to read the room, you know, and understanding uh, and not being able to understand exactly that you're not going to win a battle you know, with Michael Jordan in that way, uh, publicly, I think that, I won't even say a downfall, I think that prevented him from enjoying his own success, because, put it like this, I don't think that he got as much credit as he deserved, but I don't think that he got as much, I don't think that he deserved as much credit as he believed. I think there's a fine line, there's a sweet spot there. And here's another thing that I'll tell you, and I think you're going to call me crazy. I think Michael Jordan needed the break, I don't think the Bulls would have had a four-peat in 1994 or in 1999. I think if you're holding on to Mike being 6-0 in the finals, you're probably lucky he didn't get there a seventh time. So I have numerous thoughts on that one. And that's not a shot. That's no, not a no, shot. I, 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 no, I don't take it as a shot at all. It's it's like you're you're an all-in guy and – at some point the tank's going to run empty. Of course, you know, and one thing that Isaiah said, which was a clip that you sent me was him talking about the level of energy that he had, which was something that Isaiah wasn't able to maintain was something that magic wasn't able to maintain. Could he have done it for a fourth straight year? And you want to scale it out like some bulls fans will, they would have won nine in a row. And I like to do that. That's, that's tall that he, I think the break did help him, but I, I would also say that, you know, in, in 94, they were adding in Tony. They might have had their easiest run. Uh, and on the back end, this is where, uh, this is where I give Jerry l- little credit to, to no credit. He swung and missed in the draft year after year after year. Picks like Jason Caffey at 20, Michael Finley goes 21. I detailed this in something I wrote recently. He, he literally would miss, and, and then four picks later, 
was a way better player, and he did it over and over and over again. And I'm not saying that you should always hit on late round, first round draft picks, pick 20 to 30, but you got to hit on a couple. And if they had, you could have elongated it out better than what they were able to do when they just Keith Booth and Caffey and Dickie Simpkins and just swing and a miss, swing and a miss, swing and a miss. And, you know, Steve Kerr will say this. I, I, he'll, he'll be like, my career, my whole coaching life was elevated tremendously by being on that Bulls team and being around Michael. And if Krause had just said, Jordan makes my life so much easier to be able to put a team around the greatest player ever and plug people in around him, it has helped me out. So I will forever be grateful. If he had just said that, he would have gotten so much more credit, but instead he, he wanted to make it about himself. Agreed. I think here's the thing. Whenever you first get in the Bulls because of uh, the Samson book, the Jordan rules, you know, you were able to see your team kind of operate within this function before we're putting it all together and having a lot of doubt, even as they were putting together this, you know, remarkable regular season, right? Like you would think from the outside looking in that it was just a natural climb and that they all knew that they were going to win. There was never any doubt. And you could see that there was a lot of doubt and a lot of questions, you know, about the roster construction, about the chemical makeup of the team, about the coaching, about the leadership by every single level. And you realized that, you know, it took for them to win to reinforce that they were doing things the right way. I think sometimes what also happens is when a team wins a championship and they start winning championships, you start parsing credit. And you're like, well, Michael Jordan's the greatest player of all time. Well, it can't just be that. It has to be something else. It has to be more than just Mike and Scotty. It has to be some of these ancillary pieces. And you don't give credit to the people who construct the team, but the players are always, always going to get the credit because the players are out there playing with the flu. The players are out there 82 nights out of the year committing themselves for nine months at a time and everything else. Yeah, you put the pieces there and there's a certain amount of credit and satisfaction that comes with that, but you cannot try to enhance your case by denigrating the players that you picked just it's a bad strategy hey i appreciate the timer so i want to let you get back to what you're doing but let me ask let's just wrap up here why does vincent goodwill think that isaiah was not on the 92 dream team that is a great and layered question Carm. i think my feeling and there was a there was a column written by tony kornheiser in september of 1991 Tony Kornheiser, you know, now PTI and everything else. And basically he said, look, there's three players that should go in before Isaiah Thomas, Magic and Mike, my Magic and Bird, because they say basketball, Michael, because he's the greatest ever. And then Isaiah, it's like, it's not about John Stockton or anybody, like a position thing. We were talking about the greatest winners. We were talking about the greatest players of that point in time. Isaiah had more championships than Michael Jordan, if you remember correctly. And, and here's the thing. The only reason that I wouldn't say that Michael Jordan was the one who, you know, we're playing a game of clue. It wasn't, it wasn't professor Jordan in the kitchen with a knife because I don't think Michael Jordan would ever cop to and admit that Isaiah Thomas owned that much real estate in his head. I think the U S Olympic committee and maybe some other forces didn't like things or maybe people speaking on behalf of Jordan, but I don't know if Jordan would say that implicitly 
you know, explicitly rather himself. But I do. Here's one thing that I that I do wish had happened. Everybody says, you know, you guys had to be around each other. You guys had to get along. We all saw the great dream team documentary. Right. And they said, man, Larry Bird and Patrick Ewing didn't even know that they would be, you know, best of friends had they not hung out together and been together in these circumstances. Why couldn't Isaiah have bonded with the guys that he had been competing with for so long in that same setting? And there had been a mute, a greater mutual respect, maybe even a friendship that would have that would have occurred in Barcelona. Everybody's guard would have been let down. And even some of the animosity that we see today wouldn't exist because nobody is willing to acknowledge or put it like this. The Bulls are not willing to acknowledge that through this great rivalry, both sides <clears throat> are made better for it. The Lakers and Celtics admit that. Magic and Bird admit that. But for whatever reason, the Bulls, they will say, well, the Pistons toughened us up. But they don't even want to say, you know what? We're both made better by this rivalry being what it is. And that's the true shame of it all. And I'm just thinking back to the 88 All-Star Game in Chicago. Jordan wins MVP, scores 40. And Isaiah's throwing him alley-oops off the backboard and saying, why don't let's go get him 40. And I think exactly what you just laid out would have happened. I mean, and, and I remember, I think I want to remember back to the time too. And there was some reports saying that Michael wouldn't play on the dream team. Which it, I called nonsense on. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Yeah. You want to know who Michael Jordan's number one employer was in 1991? So that's, we're talking about Nike and Reebok? Nike, you think Nike, while Nike not having the rights right to the Olympic apparel would have led Reebok take up all that international real estate and not sent over their biggest endorser on the biggest stage. They would have told Michael to go and Michael would have had to go regardless. I never bought it either. And I also look at like magic and Isaiah had their moment in the finals where fighting. And then there was a kiss for the makeup. I don't, I don't know where their relationship was at that time. There was some awkward stuff that I think Isaiah said around HIV at that time too. Am I, am I right? Does that's no, I don't Isaiah about magic. They said, and I think I'm alleged. I, I, don't quote me. Don't say don't quote me on this, but I remember that the tone of it went something like, you know, the question about magic sexuality or whatever yeah, is yeah, magic yeah. Hom homosexual and all sort of tough stuff in the rumors. Well, Isaiah, you and him are very close. And all Isaiah said was, you know, he's out in LA. I don't know what he's doing, but who can speak to anybody does sexually? Of course. And Carl Malone, Obviously had his beef with Isaiah. There was a lot of people that had beef with Isaiah, so who knows what happened. I don't get Carl Malone's beef with Isaiah. I don't I don't get that. Carl Malone's always been weird. Unpredictable. What he did around magic at that time was was straight fear and uninformed and ridiculous. Uh, although he probably wasn't the only guy that was not wanting to play against him. But he's always been to me off. Nothing that you're that you say really makes a whole lot of sense. I never understood Carl Malone's beef. With anybody, I don't understand why Carl Malone took the shot at, at Isaiah Thomas. Like, like, here's the thing. We talk so much about, you know, toughness and all these other type of things, right? And, and the 90s should have been lauded for toughness. But the Bulls are still complaining that someone didn't shake their hands. And Carl Malone was upset that through the course of merit-based competition that Isaiah Thomas lit up John Stockton. Did Isaiah do anything illegal in dropping anything? On Stockton, did he give him any cheap shots? Because you don't get 40 points, 44 points on a guy by cheap shots. You get 44 points on a guy by scoring on him. 
Now tell me how out of all the times that Michael Jordan has lit up guys for 40 plus, you know, he's been met with applause. Carl Malone never went and tried to elbow Michael Jordan in the face because he scored 40 points on him in the game. Like, I don't, I don't get that in the way that everything is framed is, well, the Pistons, they deserved it. everything is the, well, because the Pistons were, you know, physical team, they deserved it because Isaiah was this, he deserved it. Tell me, tell me where in the world that makes sense. And, and by the way, mailman, your guy, John Stockton, he didn't exactly play clean. Arguably one of the top five dirtiest players in the game, grab, pull, do whatever he possibly could to compete and win, which by the way, no problem with that, but let's. Let's not make it out like Isaiah was on some level of, of disingenuousness or whatever you want to call it, that Stockton wasn't playing at himself. It's, it's, all of it's ridiculous. Hey, I really appreciate it, Vincent Goodwill. Your, your work is awesome, as you well know. and keep. I, I don't know why you have all the Twitter battles you do, but keep doing it because I find it very entertaining. I have a tendency to try to make sense. It's a, <laughs> it's a fault of mine. <laughs> well, you're, you're doing a hell of a job at it. Thank you for being on, my friend. I appreciate you, Carl. We wrap up the show with my main man, Ethan Blumenthal, as yes, the Bears and the NFL did have a draft over the weekend, so that belongs on the Windy City Podcast. Ethan's got a great breakdown of every single draft pick, their pluses and minuses, all of it. Cole Komet, Jalen Johnson, Travis Gibson, Kendall Vildor, Darnell Mooney, Arlington Hambright, and Lachavius Simmons, the all-name team. Uh, Ethan, how are you, sir? I am doing well, uh, and I'm glad to hear you have so much energy and enthusiasm in your voice. I love to hear it. Well, this is uh, a great time. I mean, the last dance is going on. I haven't gotten, knock on wood, COVID-19 yet, although last night I thought I did, which is the reason why this podcast is coming out a little bit later. had an enormous headache that was slow growing, but at 9.45 last night, it took off to a level that I thought that it was over, and then I took couple of Motrin and half hour later I was fine so good to be with you today by the way thank you for being did you, patient did you get to the point where you started typing in your symptoms into Google to see if it matched up with common COVID-19 symptoms I mean I've read so much about it that I knew damn well that my headache was right online and my cough which has been around for a while now is, is online but and I took my temperature and it said 96.4 and I'm like you're still okay Carm you're still okay Carm you are still okay Carm and uh, I sent my. But I, you could still have it though. I could have it. It's anything's possible. Yeah. I mean, I highly doubt it, but right. any, I, it's true. I have not been tested. Do you think you have it? No. Uh, you know, I feel good, and I've been I've been careful, and I feel fine. But uh, you know, but I'm also you know I'm I mean I don't know maybe we want to have it. You know, we want to have it now. Then we might feel like we're kind of free as long as we we're, we end up obviously doing all right with it so i don't know yeah but i keep I don't know what's gonna happen in this world Carl. yeah me neither and I, I keep reading about people that did have it that you're not immune to getting it again so i'm anti-getting right. it and now i'm seeing that people are getting strokes after having next to no symptoms and all of a sudden they're in the worst condition of their life which is terrifying but that's not why we're here i don't want to think about that thank that's you that's not why we're here that's right but along those so lines yeah 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 what, what where do you want to start here yeah, let's talk Bears draft. So, you know, Carmen, and you've known me for a while now. And, um, you know, here's how I generally feel about, about all, all professional drafts, right? I think that there's a, this hilarious thing, right, that people 
you know, draft, right? And then all of the analysts on ESPN, uh, fan size, wherever, they're all saying, oh, this period, this team won the draft, this team lost the draft. And, of course, the question that has to be asked is, how the hell do you know if you won the draft or lost the draft when you've never seen any of these guys play professional football yet? So there's all of these people coming out here with these bold analysis, but they don't really know what the hell is going on. And for some example, you know, in the 1984 NBA draft, do you think that analysts said, oh, the, the Portland Trailblazers won this draft. They got a great guy in Sam Bowie. Do you think that's what they said? Oh, I'm sure that's what they said. Big man. Great pick. Exactly. Yeah, you know, and they might have said, you know, the Bulls did pretty well at number three, getting this, getting this guy, Michael Jordan, this Jordan fellow. And, but, but, uh, but you didn't know. And, you know, the, the fact is, is no one really knows because Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round. Mike Trout was passed up by, you know, 20-some teams. Jordan went third overall. You know, Albert Pools was drafted in, like, the fifth round. I mean, this, this is how the world works, and so you really – it's really, really, really hard to know. So I like to kind of take a different approach to my draft analysis. So as you know, and I think anyone who's been listening to me over the years knows, I'm a big name guy. I think a name – goes a long way to predicting whether this guy is going to be good, great, or a bust. Okay, so we're going to go, um, we're going to go down the list here, and we're going to go name by name and see what name kind of speaks and looks like a star, and which names don't look like stars. Great. How's that sound? Great. I love it. Beautiful. So first of all, we, we'll start off with Cole Komet. Uh, do, do you think that I said that right? Cole Komet. Yes, I think you did. Cole Komet. Okay. So first of all, a couple things here. So I will say this now, you know, Carm, we have a, we have a similar background, you know, our, our ancestors came from the same place. So growing up, we, we did not, we did not root for the Notre Dame fighting Irish. Is that something that you're familiar with as well? Coming that thing as our ancestors came from a similar place. Always a challenge for the Jewish guy to root for Notre Dame. I did it when they had David Rivers playing point guard because I loved him so much. So I was able to get through it, but uh, yes, it, 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 it it's weird and it shouldn't be, but there's always sort of been a weird challenge there for the Jew. It's true. And so, that, so I'm just glad that you're we're on the same page. So I feel the exact same way. So anytime I hear Notre Dame guy, it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, the Cubs had Justin Marger for a while, and I was all right. But, you know, it's just there's just some little, little funky going on there. Now, getting to the name itself, Cole Komet, I think Cole is a big-time name. Now, Carm, this is going to be me aging you out a little bit, but have you ever seen or heard of the movie Three Ninjas? You're right. Aged out. Yeah. Hipped so, out. Three Ninjas was a classic movie in my childhood, and it was uh, the three brothers who were like ninjas, and then they, you know, fight the crime or whatever. But their grandfather taught them, who was like a Mr. Miyagi, might even be the same actor. I don't even know. Um, but uh, but so the three ninjas and the third brother or the middle brother's name is Cole, and I always thought he was such a badass. He was so cool. I always wanted to be like Cole. Rocky was like the oldest one. Cole was kind of the wild card, kind of the badass. And then the youngest one, uh, Tum Tum, he was kind of, you know, he, you know, he was a young little brother, so they had to look out for him. But Cole was the, Cole was the guy. Um, so, so I think that, that for name-wise, I think that that really goes well for Cole Komet and goes well for the Bears. You know, I thought you were going to go with Rudy. You got to bust out three ninjas. Uh, for, for, I mean, come on. I was excited. I'm like, come on. I, I was about to say, I've seen Rudy, but you throw out three ninjas, and of course I haven't. For me, like, like Cole Komet, there's a lot, of, a lot of ways to root for that name. Come on, Komet. You know, that type of thing. Sure. It, it feels mm -hmm. good to me. Sure. All and, I, and the other the other thing, and I, and I don't want to talk too much, you know, bore 
four fans with the positions here, but obviously the Bears drafted yet another tight end, which at the time was their 10th tight end on the roster. I think they recently just let one go like this morning, but I think it would have been cool. And the only downside of the draft is that if they had gotten 11 tight ends, then they could have, you know, could have sent out for the, the craziest, um, the craziest positional arrangement uh, for, for any one given play in the history of time. And we could have seen a two-point conversion at the end of the game to win it, and you know, they send out you know 11 tight ends. And that could have been huge. Totally throwing the defense off, off their toes and you know maybe come in with the craziest play of all time, including 11 tight ends. And I think that would have been hilarious and amazing thing for me to watch. That would have been great. And just for everybody freaking out on the 10 tight ends, none of them are going to make the team except for three. And none of them could play. They needed a tight end. They 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 picked yeah. straight cold Komet, which is a huge pick, and was on sure. the podcast last week. Great job. What do you got on Jalen Johnson? Or- so Jalen Johnson. Um, he, so we got the alliteration in that name, Jalen Johnson. And to me, I think that's a little too tacky with the alliteration. And so I, I'm 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 pointing that as a negative. So I I don't like the pick. I think I think it's a bad I think it's a bad name. I think individually the names are fine. But I think together it's just too tacky for me, and I think it sends the wrong message. See, I loved Good Times. I was a huge fan of JJ, one of the great characters in old school sitcom history. So I think that Jalen Johnson's going to be sweet. Well, but see, here's the thing. See, if he get with by JJ, so that's a whole different work. JJ, anytime you have two letters, that's an automatic win. You know, JT, JJ, you know, JR. I mean. Not to, you know, J.R. Smith has had his trouble, certainly, but J.J., that, that's a great name, but he's going by Jalen Johnson as far as I know, and I, I, that, that doesn't work for me. I'm going with J.J. Guy's going to be a legend. What, what's your angle on right. tre- Travis Gibson? Travis, I, have, do, you, do you know any Travises right. in your life? Right. I don't know any Travises. I think that is going to be a problem because I think everyone's going to want to be calling him Travis, right? Because Travis is a much more common name. I've never heard of Travis before, and I think that's going to cause some problems. And he's going to get aggravated with the media accidentally calling him Travis. They're accidentally going to spell his name incorrectly. And I think that's going to cause some, some mental games for him. And I think it's going, to, it's going to be a struggle for him on the field. So I see a Chicago Bulls connection there. Travis Knight was picked 29th overall by Jerry Krause, one of his terrible picks. And Taj Gibson was selected by Gar Pax. So Travis, Travis, not Travis, Travis mm-hmm. Gibson is going to be an underrated Chicago Bull. Okay, all right. I uh, sounds good. Sounds good to me. Um, but I, but you know, that's 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 where I land on the name there. Now moving down, we have Kindle Vildor. Yeah. Kindle Vildor. See now that to me, that sounds like a name straight out of Lord of the Rings. Do you agree? I do. I do. So. Listen, and if I have a guy on my team who's coming straight out of Lord of the Rings who just saved Middle Earth, right, from a terrible, the evil bad guys, you know, um, that, that seems good to me. So I love having a guy with a Lord of the Rings type name, Kindle Vildor. That's the guy that I want to play by, by, by my side, and that's the guy who I'll go into battle for. So that's, and that's what you want, football players. So that's why I love the name. It was a huge plus for me. Wasn't he also in Game of Thrones? Yeah, it's saying yeah, Vildor, whatever. It's 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 with those types of you know a, a, a guy who just who who's a gritty guy. He goes in the battle. He can just he fights to the death. He gets one arrow in his arm, but he's still fighting and beating the shit out of everybody. And he's awesome. He's the guy that you, everyone loves. And he he's he's going. He's he's leading the charge. Yeah, and he also he reads his Kindle. He is Kindle. Right. He's he's right. forward thinking. 
He's he doesn't take up a whole lot of space, but yet he gets it done. Kindle Vildor, love it. Right. Any any angle you take on that name, it's a win, I think for sure. Uh, so moving down, we got Darnell Mooney. Uh huh. The Mooney. And the so, Mooney man. So. Th- so yeah. So so this is a toss up for me. You know, this is a toss up. Um, I think that there's a lot there's there's a lot you could do with either name there. Um, you know, I'm thinking about. Um, you know, just thinking about nicknames. I mean, I'm not sure it could go either way for me. To me, it's a it's a flip of coin. What, what do you think? I like it. The Moonwalk, the Mooney Man, Moon City. Uh, show me your moon. A lot of angles there with Darnell Mooney. Plus the fact that he can run. You'll never see the moon again. What's that uh, Clarence Clearwater revival tune? You know what I'm talking about? I'm not gonna be able, I don't know if I'm going to be able to help you out with that one. Not going to pull out a CCR out of nowhere? All right, that's fine. No big deal. Yeah. Generation yeah. Gap, Carmen and Blumenthal sh- showing its face no, If again. you want to ask me about three ninjas, I'm here all day. Yeah, no, yeah. I got it. I got it. There's Darnell Mooney, um, I, I'm in. I'm all in. I, the, the man is – I'm actually most excited about him of any of the draft picks. I think the, the, the really? Mooney is going to be Moon City. What Moon's over Miami? Let's go straight to Denny's and get a meal. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you've convinced me now, and so now I'm going to flip the other way. But I have to tell you, going down this list, it sounds like you've, you've had a positive spin on every single pick. Are you trying to tell me that Ryan Pace, this is an A-plus job here? Pretty much, yes. I mean, well, you haven't even gotten to Arlington Hambright, which is amazing. Right. Right. So Arlington Hambright, and um, so, yeah, so again, Arlington Hambright, I think a lot of people started to make some Arlington Heights jokes, and I'm not sure how I felt about those. Did you see those jokes kind of floating around the Twitterverse? I, I I didn't, but Arlington Heights is an outstanding suburb where Cole Komet had his celebration moment. Everybody honking the horn, so there's a clear connection with Ham Bright and Komet. Plus, you got Ham Bright doing it right, Hamburger at night. I mean, there's a lot of things going on with Arlington Ham Bright. Yeah, no, and I and I think yeah, I think I, I think to me that was I'm kind of in the middle, but I was definitely leaning positive uh, with with the Arlington Heights jokes, and I think you just right, get nail on the head there with the uh, the Hambright hamburger at night, late at night. I mean, however you want to look at it, it's, it works. You know, when I was a great vendor, Ethan, you always had to put these things together. So, you know, start your night off right. How about a Bud Light? I mean, that was a big seller. I got people drinking that didn't didn't even think about drinking, but when they heard my slogans, next thing you know, you know, karma's in the money. So, sure, I, I'm really good at and this. And I think, yeah, that's definitely props to that family name because anything that ends in right, as you just illustrated, there's a ton that you can do with rhyming there, and that's, that's always huge when it comes to nicknames. Right, and that's where Lachavia Simmons might be a tad bit of a challenge, I'm guessing? So, you know, Lachavia Simmons... I I think that Lachavius Simmons to me that's a win. I think I, I think first of all I actually wasn't sure if it was if it was either going to be Lachavius, Lachavius, or maybe he's Jewish and it's Lachavius. Um, but you know I didn't know for sure. Uh, but I I think it's a win. You know, Lachavius sounds like a guy who could cause somebody some pain. That's what I hear when I hear that name, and that's a good thing when you're a football player. Simitov and Mazeltov, Lachavius Simmons. I feel you. I didn't even think about the fact that he could be our rabbi. But Lachavius right, exactly. is absolutely qualified to step up to the Bima on a Saturday afternoon and get us going right. into a Beret Prihagoffin. And I, exactly. I, 
That's awesome. I the the Bears officially have a rabbi in Lachavia Simmons. So out of time, that's why we compliment each other so well. <laughs> it's just it's it's symmetry right there. Uh, before you go, Ethan. Yeah. You haven't mentioned the fact that Jay Cutler's getting divorced and Kristen's on the market. I'm wondering, you know, your take on this. Was it that Jay was an insufferable human being? Uh, was it that Jay perhaps had one wan- wandering or two wandering eyes? Maybe Kristen got bored with Jay and she had she had her sights on something better. Uh, we have had a situation here where somebody has been given their papers and have been released, and you never want to make too light of this, but you know, on the other hand, I think they're both going to be okay, and and hopefully they'll they'll do great by their kids. I'm trying to figure out what happened here, and during the coronavirus, the fact that the the, the, the timing feels like yeah. a little challenging as to and interesting as to why right now. Right. Uh, so yeah. So you, yeah, you made a lot of a lot of interesting points there. So I think first and foremost, you know, the most important thing, you know, besides the kids, of course. Um, is the fact that she's now, you know, presumably single. Um, and Carmine, I don't know if you know this about me, but I am also single. So there's that kind of angle that I think uh, needs to be played out here. And obviously, if Kristen is listening to this podcast, um, you know, as soon as this is over, uh, don't they live in don't, don't they live in Nashville? Although with the divorce, who knows what will happen? But I'm you know I'm willing to drive anywhere uh, and, and and take you out for a nice meal whenever this is all said and done. So that's first and foremost. Um, and then other things, you know, it's really hard to speculate. Um, but uh, you have—it sounds like you have a thought, some some serious thoughts on Jay Cutler. So why don't you? Why don't you think? What, what do you think is going on? Well, whenever I watched uh, the 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 reality TV show, it just seemed that Jay was not being a great partner. I mean, Kristen was asking for basic things, and Jay was talking about my motivation is to do absolutely nothing. And he, he wasn't very friendly when the friends came over and he kind of played into this Cutler disinterested guy. And that's not great in a marriage, as you know, as I know, at least, Ethan, as an elite husband who's been married mm-hmm. for five months now and it's gone perfect every single day and she really loves me. You got to be a team player. Right. And, you know, I'm out here doing the dishes. I, I folded the folding blanket onto the couch this morning I made coffee for both me and Chelsea today Jay just doesn't seem making the bed right making the bed and washing Uh, washing the sheet right Uh, no that's her job I I don't do that Uh, but 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 I you know uh, but I've done some other things you're not you're not Superman I get it right 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 no I I make the bed once in a blue moon um so yes the question the question though is is now one question is do you did you watch the did you watch the the very Cavalieri show because you're into reality TV or is it because your wife is or is it because just because it was a, a former Chicago Bear? No, it was all about Jay. I mean, I'm a okay. I'm a right. I'm a cutty consumer. I don't. Never... All right, I mean that's that's fine. I just thought maybe it was also because after you get done watching that, then you go watch the the Real high, Housewives of Arlington Heights or whatever you might yeah. be watching these days. Yeah, no, it's, so this and it's a blow for my reality TV. I think it is for all of us, uh, and we don't sure. have we don't have the answers, and that's okay. But um, you know, we ju- I just saw Jay. We were down in New Orleans for the NCAA championship game, and he served me a Dos Equis at a, at a local bar. I saw that. Yeah, you know, it made, it made major news, and then I got to sit next to him about 
five seats down at the championship game. We didn't speak, but there was a bond there. Clearly, he wanted to talk to me, and I wanted to talk to him most definitely. So, um, you know, I think life is all about going forward. Jay's got to do that, and so does Kristen. But it would be nice to know because they're doing reality TV. What what is what's 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 the story here? That's none of our business. But I'm still curious. It's true. And the other thing that's a little disconcerting is that it's this quarantine and maybe, and I've read a few things or seen a couple of blurbs about it, but maybe this quarantine is going to lead to a, to a much higher divorce rate in this country. And that could be sad you know, for, for the, the Jay Cutlers and the Christian Cavalieri's out there. Well, but good for you because you're single. Have you done any virtual dating? It's uh, a good question. I kind of went on one, um, I went on one date. Uh, over the phone and then we were like texting but then it's like what are you gonna do we don't know who knows when the next time we're gonna be able to go outside and and do anything so it kind of kind of just it's an easy way to to sizzle off so maybe you know maybe i'll text her once once this is all all said and done no you just named it without naming it you're not interested because if you were you'd get creative and you'd go for a walk and she'd be on one side of the street and you'd be on the other or you'd be five feet away or you'd meet her in a park and you'd sit on this bench and she'd sit on that bench and you guys would chat but you're not thinking that way because you're not interested and you're being disingenuous to the dewindy city listeners right now you had one no i I will tell you this. I will tell you this. I did. So this is, and this is, this is truth. This is all the, all, this is all the cars on the table. I did go on a date, um, on a, on the, the Wednesday night, I think when it all happened in like March 10th or 11th or something like that. And that was like the day. And I was supposed to go to Mexico with a friend the next day. And I went on a date with the, with this a beautiful, a beautiful, uh, Jewish, nice Jewish lady. Uh, so my parents would be very happy about that. And it went, the day went really great. And then, you know, we were, we were planning to do something in the next couple of days. And then the whole thing, the world blew up. And then she flew to Oregon uh, to, you know, to hang out with her family for the quarantine. And now, you know, I just don't know when the next time we might ever see each other again. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's tough right there. I, I mean, if you're really yeah. into it, I'd tell your mom and dad that you're driving out to Oregon and you're in love and life is going to be, you know, you're going to approach the greatness that you can become as far as finding that one woman. And we're going to do a one Harry met Sally across country type of moment. And Oregon's a sure. great place, by the way, I'd love to move to Oregon. Um, hashtag. I, I've never been, but I, I hear it's nice. Yeah. Good, good spot. Good spot. Hey, I was with me with the movie that I, that I thought of was, uh, was good world hunting, you know, at the end of the movie, yeah. when he, uh, he writes the message, right. Go see about a girl. And then it just ends with him, you know, driving down the down the freeway going to California, right? Right. If you're going to be on this podcast next week, I'm going to be pissed. You need to get on with your life. I'll play the Ben Affleck role for you in Goodwill Hunting. I mean, we can do it from Oregon sure. too. By the way, the technology works from the, from the West Coast. Right. So maybe yeah. I'll I'll be yeah. Affleck to your Damon. Um, go get her. Yeah. I think I, that- I will. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think on that note we got to say goodbye because that got a little heavy and deep, and and I, I, I feel emotion. It's time for you to go. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'm gonna load up the load up the car and uh, <laughs> see you in Oregon next week. Ethan Blumenthal, good to be with you, brother. Always a pleasure, Karn. There it is. What a strange.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.